Hello, welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week three of our current series, When Waters Rise. We hope you guys enjoy the word. Amen. Good morning. Oh, come on. We could do better than that. It is a good morning. Somebody say good morning. All right. I'm so glad that you are here. Listen, I hope you are not letting a couple of raindrops ruin your day. You do know that the sun is still shining, right? It's, it's behind the clouds, but it's there. So lift your head up. Where your help comes from, it comes from the Lord. It's a good day, right? But for those of you that are concerned a little bit with the rain or allowing it to affect you somehow, today we got a sermon just for you. We're, we've been on a series entitled, When Waters Rise. I know the water's falling, but trust me, it'll minister to you. But over the past two weeks, we've been in a series uh, that we just started, and what we've been looking at is facing the difficulties of life head on. And we've been examining the lives of people from the scriptures that faced difficult circumstances while in the midst of turbulent waters. And what we've been learning is some things from their response, but also what God's word instructs us. Now, I want to just kind of take a quick poll here. How many of you have had some sort of trouble in life? Okay, the rest of you, you know, you're not there yet. I get it. Look, you're hired. Come, you're the new pastor. Teach us, right? The truth is this, that we all face trials. We all face troubles. And God's word has a lot to say about it. In the first week of this series, uh, we looked at the life of a guy named Peter. And what we learned is that while the trials of life will affect us like a storm, like storms do affect us. Anybody get wet this morning when you walked out? You get my point. Storms affect you, right? You'll feel the rain, you'll feel the wind, but the truth is that we don't have to be affected by the storms of life. We don't have to succumb to the challenges that they pose. And so we learn from Peter that just because you're following God doesn't mean that you're exempt from difficulties, but it's all about how you face them right? So how you face them matters. How you respond matters. Last week, in week two, we looked at the life of a guy named Jonah. And what we saw from the life of Jonah is that sometimes we create the storms in our lives. We, we make choices. We make decisions. We go wayward at times. We believe certain things, and we create storms. And so we learned a lot from the life of Jonah. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and check out the podcast. Go on Facebook. Go on our website. There's so many different ways that you can access this. And if you're just checking us out, check out some other things too. But today, we're going to be looking to a moment in the life of the disciples while they were with Jesus on a boat. Now, I want you to understand, anybody here with Jesus, right? Anybody here with Jesus, Jesus with you, right? So I, I want you to understand that you would think that when you're with Jesus, that it's a guarantee that you're exempt from troubles, from difficulties in life, from anything coming your way. But the opposite is true. As we're about to learn, uh, the disciples were going where God had told them to. Get this. Jesus told them, we're going to the other side. We're going to look at that in a second. And I want you to consider who was talking to them. You know, it's one thing if I say to you today, hey, let's go to the other side of the Hudson today. Many of you, here's your response, especially today. Yeah, you can do that by yourself, Pastor. Not me, not interested. But this was Jesus speaking to them. Listen closely. This was God himself telling them, let's go to the other side. And what we, what's interesting about this moment is that these disciples found themselves going where God had told them. They were, on, they were in route to what God had for them on the other side. There was something, there was an agenda, there was something that Jesus wanted to accomplish and wanted them to be a part of. And these guys got caught in the midst of a storm. And so what we see here is simply this, that because you're going in the same direction with Jesus, because you're following where God is taking you, because you're looking ahead to the promises of God, and some of you even know what God wants to do in and through your life, and you're en route, the truth is this, that opposition will come. Opposition will come. And so today I'd like to talk to you about standing in the face of opposition. 
standing in the face of opposition. Look, the truth is this, that most people can accept and would agree that just because you're following Christ doesn't mean that you're exempt from the trials of life. But not everyone, and specifically not every Christian, is willing to accept that they have to do something in the face of opposition when it comes. Listen closely to what I'm saying. Not everyone believes that they play a part in facing opposition. I'll prove it to you. Some of us, maybe some of you here, are probably waiting on God. You're just waiting on the Lord. You're fasting and you're praying and you're storming the gates of heaven. Listen, you even get on a phone call every week and talk about your problems and how much we need prayer and how much we're waiting on God. And God, would you just show up? And God, would you just do it? And God, would you just bring this breakthrough? And I have news for you. I have good news for you. God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you. We're called into partnership with God. And facing opposition is not done by God, it's with God. And so listen, to follow Christ is to accept that you will have to overcome trials along the way. Notice that it's you and I that will have to. I'm going to show you that in a moment from Scripture. But I want to point your attention to something I came across. For those of you that know me, you know I'm a geek, right? So this might not be exciting to you. But there's some valuable uh, information in this. There's a valuable example in this. And so in 1962, a man named Victor and his wife, Mildred Gortzel, published a revealing study. It was a study of over 413 famous and exceptionally gifted people. And the name of this study was called, when it was concluded, was called Cradles of Eminence. And they spent years attempting to understand what produced such greatness. What was it about these people that they were able to succeed in life and do great things in life and cause great residual impact in life? And so what was it about these people that was so great? What was the common thread that might run through all these outstanding people's lives? And surprisingly, the most outstanding fact that was true of all of them was that they all had to overcome very difficult obstacles in order to become who they were, in order to accomplish what they had accomplished. Look, the truth is this. There is greatness in you. I'll prove it to you. Scripture says, greater is he in you than he that is in the world. Jesus said that you would do greater things than these, all these things that he did. So there's greatness in you. There's greatness at work in you. Listen, there are gifts in you. The scripture says that his, his, his gifts and his callings are without reproach, that he does not turn away from them. He does not repent from what he created you for and the gifts that he placed in you. So you're gifted. There's a destiny ahead of you. The scripture says that you've been predestined unto good works. God wants to do great things, good things through your hands. There's something specific, something special, something that carries anointing, something that conveys the power of God. That's all in you. Now, by your response, some of you, maybe you don't believe that. This is what God says about you. You. You, somebody tell somebody else, he's talking about me. Tell somebody else, God believes this about me. God says this about me. Listen, this is what God says about you. So there's greatness in you. But just understand that greatness comes at a great expense sometimes. Greatness is a great call. And everybody gets excited about being great, about good works about doing what God has called you to. But listen closely. You will have to face the obstacles that oppose what God has in store for you. Amen? I I, I pray that you agree with that and you believe that. And I also pray that you believe you can overcome. Because the scripture says this about you. You're not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. Get this. You're not, you're not the average person that overcomes. You super abound when it comes to overcoming. 
there's great power at work in you. The Bible says if God is for you, and that's not a question, it's asserting that God is for you, then guess what? Who can be against you? Some of you are starting to get this. <coughs> Excuse me. But you see, this greatness in you, these gifts in you, this destiny ahead of you, and this purpose that's at work in you comes with you owning up and accepting the responsibility that you're a co-laborer with Christ. You know what the problem is in some people's lives? And look, if the shoe fits here today, don't wear it. Just change it. Just change it. Don't put it on. Don't put it on. Because that's not what God says about you. But listen, the problem with some today in life is that we believe that the word says we co-labor, but none of us are willing to cooperate with God. And God wants to do great things, but it's with you and I. So there's a part we play, right? And so unless we're willing to face the opposition, we can't see all this greatness, all this gifting, all this, uh, uh, the, these good works that God has come to pass. And so as I said earlier, we're going to look in the book of Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at a moment in the lives of the disciples. And they're in the boat with Jesus. And you would think that if you're in the boat with Jesus, there's no problems. Let's read the scriptures. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35, says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Another portion of Scripture says this, that the boat was taking water, and it was at the point of sinking. Right? And so Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Another translation puts it this way. Don't you care if we die? So get where these guys are at. Verse 39, and he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So there's a lot going on here. But what's interesting is that the disciples have just boarded a boat with Jesus. And and it was after hearing one of the greatest lessons on the kingdom of God. If you just back up a couple of verses, here's what you're going to see. Before Jesus tells them, let's go. We're going to the other side. Jesus talks to them in the form of a parable. And he says to them, the kingdom of God is like a sower who takes a seed and goes and he sows it. And in this parable, what he's doing is he's revealing the great works of God. And he's also revealing the most fundamental part of working and growing through the kingdom. And so the way the parable goes, and I won't bore you with all the details, but he identifies four different types of grounds that are similar and equivalent to people and how we receive the word. And he says the first type of ground is a very hard ground. It's packed in. And it says, and the sower sows the seed, and because the, the, the ground can't accept, it can't, the, the seed can't take root, The birds of the air come and take the seed and take it away. And he equates that to the person who hears the word, doesn't understand it, can't receive it, and so Satan comes and takes the seed. The second type of ground that he talks about is the ground that is rocky. And the seed is sown, which is the word of God, right? The truth that God wants to reveal. He sows the seed, and because the rocks are there and it can't get its roots in, it springs up quickly, but it quickly dies. And then he talks about the person who is like the seed that's sown among thorns, And the cares of life and their desires and all these things happening choke out the truth of the life. 
to such an extent that the seed dies. It can't produce. But then he talks about the good ground. And he equates the good ground to the person who hears the word, understands it, and can do something with it. And thus, that type of ground, he says, produces some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So what's happening here? Jesus just got finished teaching this great foundational. Listen, if you can't get this, Jesus said, if you can't understand this, how could you understand anything else that I have to say is what Jesus says. And so he's teaching them something. So mind you, now they're getting in the boat and Jesus gives them a seed. He says, let's go to the other side. This is Jesus speaking. He's giving them a certain thing that they can depend on. He's saying, we are going to the other side. And so they get in the boat. And as we just read, when they get in the boat, it's all good. But while in route, the scriptures tell us that they encounter a furious squall. Now, you've got to understand something about what the scripture is saying here in the Greek. Here's what it bears out. That this was a violent attack of wind, uh, rains that were breaking forth from black thunderous clouds in furious gusts. So mind you, this isn't my opinion. This is what the original language bears out. In other words, this was not an ordinary storm. If you look at verse uh, 37, let's put that up real quick. It says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly overtaken. It was sinking. And so here's, notice that the Bible says that the wind and the waves broke over. So this, they're being attacked is what the scripture is revealing. But this term broke over relates to what the wind and the waves were doing. What was the intent? What was the power of these things? And here's what it means to, when it says it broke over. It means to beat into. It means to overwhelm by throwing or laying upon another. It also means to seize and to take prisoner. So I want you to understand that this was not just a storm comprised of wind and waves. This wasn't just some thunder and lightning and some heavy wind. What we're seeing here is that what was behind this was a spiritual force that came in opposition to where they were meant to go. Now watch this, where they were meant to go with Jesus. The reason why I share that with you is because the truth is that in the midst of the storms of life, sometimes the storm that comes your way is directly opposing where God is taking you. And you can bet your bottom dollar, you just got to look at the life of Jesus, that when you are doing what God has called you to, when you are standing and, and moving firmly, resolute upon what God has told you, what God is doing in you, that opposition will come. And the key is this, you must know how to stand. You must know how to deal with the opposition. You must know how to press through, how to push through, how to move forward in spite of everything that's coming against you. And so in this storm, we see two very different reactions in response to this opposition. We see Jesus' response. And here's what we learn from Jesus' response, that you can face opposition from a place of rest and peace. Rest and peace. Listen, when everything is going haywire around you, and you find yourself saying, but God, you said, but God, you've shown me, but God, you promised, and you are resolute, and you know God is leading you, and opposition is coming against you. Here's the very first thing that you and I must consider. Here's a good question for self-reflection. How do you respond? How do you respond? Are you moved by the wind and waves? Do you get on the phone and start calling your prayer warriors and telling everybody about your problems? Right? Do you respond in such a manner that it's like 
the lights went out in heaven and they got to call Con Edison or Central Hudson to help God turn the power back on? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you ain't been there? Oh, I, I've been there. I'm sorry. Learn from my example. Don't do what I've done, right? Don't, don't, don't go there, right? How do you respond? Or is your response dictated by peace? Peace. See, peace doesn't deny that the problem happened. Peace just acknowledges that it has no control over me. That's what peace does. I will not be controlled, nor will I subject myself to this drama. Not my problem. It's a problem, but it's not my problem. Come on, that's good now. Right? So you can respond like Jesus and face the opposition from a place of rest and peace, or we can also respond like the disciples, where you can face opposition from a place of fear and turmoil. I'm a firm believer of this, that if you just listen close enough to the words that come from your mouth, you'll hear your heart. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The next time you find yourself in the midst of some drama, listen to your mouth. It'll tell you what you believe in your heart. Now, that's good. That's good news. I know it's challenging. I know it's not comfortable. I know I don't, I don't want to take any responsibility in the midst of this problem. But the truth is this, that if you are to face opposition, then you must cooperate with God. And the very first thing we need to do is accept our role in the drama. That makes sense? That all right? right? I didn't hurt anybody fe- anybody's he- feelings, right? I hope, I hope I didn't because I can't hurt you. I can't. It's up to you to respond. I can't hurt you. That all right? Now, everybody say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. Now, remember you said that because I'm just sharing with you some truth, right? I'm trying to help you here. And so, look, you and I have a choice when we face opposition. Jesus chose to remain in a state of rest, and when the time came, he faced the opposition with peace, right? Or we can choose, like the disciples, to succumb to fear and to face opposition and turmoil, to be moved, to get it scattered brain, to complain and assign blame to everyone else but ourselves. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're talking to somebody about an issue and they can eloquently tell you everything that someone else has done, but they never ascribe any responsibility to themselves? I hope you haven't been there. I hope you haven't been there. I hope you haven't been there. But the truth is that we've all been there, right? Not my fault. It's your fault. It's what they did. It's what they do. It's how they do it. It's what they're saying. It's how they're reacting. If they wouldn't have said, whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible says that you and I must work out our own salvation. That the scripture is telling us, you got to work out the power in you. You got to work out the wisdom in you. Now, you know what's something about working out? It requires resistance. You want to build some spiritual muscle? Work it out. You got to face the opposition. I know we don't, I, I don't like problems. I'm shy. I don't like confrontation. I would rather just avoid it. No, 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 no. Face the opposition. Speak the truth in love. Move forward with Jesus because that's the direction he's going. Remember, he's taking you to the other side. But to get there, we've got to cooperate. And we've got to accept the responsibility and ownership of our part in it. Amen? All right. So, the truth is this, that one of these decisions will get you to the other side, while the other will sink you. It'll sink you. As, you're going to, as we're going to see in a second, before Jesus even quieted the storm, these guys were already sunk. I'll prove it to you. 
And so let's, let's dig into this a little bit and see some lessons from this story on facing opposition. The first thing that I want you to see is that Satan attacks your identity to keep you from your destiny. Satan attacks your identity to keep you from your destiny. Get this. These were disciples of Christ. These were not fans. These were followers. These were men that had been with Jesus, accepted what he said. They may have had faults like you and me, but they were intent on following Jesus. They had the promise, as the scriptures revealed, that they would sit on 12 thrones with Jesus in eternity and judge the nations. They had the assertion that they had the keys to the kingdom of God and hell could not prevail against them. They had the guarantee that they would and could do greater works than these. Now, I don't want you to hear this abstractly. I don't want you to hear this as that's what Jesus said to them. Jesus says that to you. The scripture says that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The scripture says that you are holy and righteous and accepted. The scripture says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, no width, no length. The scripture says that you bear the title child of God, beloved of God. You are meaningful to God. You are valuable to God. There is only one you. You are special, unique. God calls you wonderful, beautiful. Man, if I was sitting where you at, there'd be an entire commotion in this church right now. I'd be flipping chairs and jumping up and down and doing some crazy praise. But let's move on. Listen, when they got in the boat, they knew this. They knew this. In the boat that they were going to the other side with Jesus on that boat. They knew this. And so while they're in route, knowing this, knowing who they were, knowing what they were destined for, right? A storm comes. And all of a sudden, they question their worth and identity in the eyes of Jesus. Don't you care that we're about to die, Jesus? All of a sudden, his love comes into question. His power comes into question. His presence comes into question. And above all, his calling on their lives comes into question. All this comes into question in the midst of this storm. Somehow, they believed that everything that Jesus had said and had done was coming to an end. Literally, they're writing their obituary. We're all going to die. It's that bad. Don't look at me like you've never been there. Don't look at me that way. I I tell you, we have all at some point found ourselves in a place where the problem seemed bigger than God. We've all been there. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in that boat again. But here's the beauty in that boat, that they were with Jesus and so are you. Right? And so listen to what Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. And before we read this, I want to I just say something that I feel is necessary to say. This is no new trick out of Satan's book. This isn't in my notes. You go check that out in your own time. We're not going to dig in too much. But you go look at at Genesis chapter 3. When Satan shows up and he has this encounter with Adam and Eve, he says, did God really say that you can't eat from the tree? Come on. Really? He says, listen, here's the truth. God knows that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like him and know all things. Watch the lie. They already were like him. They already were like him. What did he bring into question? 
God's word and their identity. So Satan attacks your identity to keep you from your destiny. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 tells us about the armor of God. And here's what it tells us. We have an armor, but this armor protects who we are. It's for the purpose of protecting who you are and advancing in your identity in Christ. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Go ahead and tell somebody, I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I pray that you know that today. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, it's important for me to pause here because you need to understand something, that when the Bible starts talking about rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world, it's talking about a system. I'm not talking about the government system. I'm not talking about the social services system. I'm not talking about any of that. It's talking about a system that is defined by a way of belief that is based on lies. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. That's what the language reveals. It's a manner of thinking in this world. It's a belief that's contrary to the ways of God. And so watch this. Why are you arguing with people? What we're contending with is not people. What we're contending with is with false belief that opposes what we know to be true. And the Bible goes on to say that we contend against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is your opposition. This is our opposition. And so in light of that, the Bible says this. Therefore, in other words, now that you know that, put on the full armor of God. Put on everything that God has equipped you with. If you study that out, what you'll see is God has equipped you with righteousness. He's equipped you with salvation, right, which changes your thinking, right? He's equipped you with his word, and he equates it to a sword, right, by which you advance. He's equipped you with righteousness. That's who you are. That's what protects your heart. That's the truth about you. I mean, the list goes on and on. But he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Notice that it doesn't say if it comes your way, but when it comes, right? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Go ahead and tell somebody, stand Tell somebody else I'm standing. Listen, so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything. But I've been standing on the word of God. I've been doing what's right. I've been acting according to the way that God tells me and instructs me to do. I'm still believing and it's still coming against me. I got an answer for you. Matter of fact, not me, but God. He says, so that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand hold your ground hold your ground you were not created to live life on your knees and if you're gonna bow the only one you bow to is the king of kings that's it that's the only time you fight on your knees but when it comes to your opposition you stand you stand See, when you're following Christ, an opposition comes to deter you from going where he's leading you. Your battle is not with a person. It's not with an entity. Listen, it's not with the actions of others. Your opposition is spiritual and you have to look past people and contend by spiritual means in order to move forward. Man, so listen, the next time you're faced with opposition and you begin to get down on yourself and question your identity and question your worth, but God, if you love me, where are you? He's never left you. He's still speaking. He's still almighty God. He's still your refuge, your strong tower, 
You're still covered under the shadow of his wings, right? He's still got you up on a high rock. You're not in the pit anymore, right? So the next time you're faced with opposition, you begin to get down on yourself to question your identity and worth. Get back up and stand steadfast in your identity. You know why you can't knock a good man down? Because he knows he's good. You know why the righteous fall seven times but get back up? Because they know they can. Come on now. I'm speaking to somebody here today. Hmm. And so listen. This battle in the midst of opposition that we face is for your mind. It's for your mind. Listen closely. The disciples had the same thing going for them that you and I do. They had Jesus with them. And as long as he was with them, they were protected, they were provided for, they could expect the miraculous hand of God, and they knew that they were assured of good results as they followed him. Can I take a rabbit trail here real quick? Is that all right? Turn back to Mark chapter 4. And I want you to put up verse 38. I want you to see something. Now, here's what they say. Let's read this together. It says, Jesus was in the stern. So where was Jesus? It's an open book test. It's all right. Nobody's going to fail. Right? He was in the stern. Right? And he's sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Right? He's sleeping in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this opposition. He's at rest. He's at peace. He's sleeping. He's comfortable. He's not getting comfortable with the storm. He's comfortable in peace. Right? He's comforted and comfortable in peace. Right? So they say that when a ship takes on too much water, that the very first part that goes down is the stern of the boat. Now watch this. Where was Jesus? Doing what? Sleeping. In peace. He's all right. And these guys weren't just anybody. These were seasoned fishermen. These guys had ridden the high waves of the seas. They'd endured some challenges. They knew what it was to be battered by winds and waves. They knew what it was to take on some water. They knew what it was to be in turbulent waters. But they forgot who was with them, and they forgot where he was. We're going to die. We're taking on water. Oh, my God, it's all going to pieces. Can you hear what was operating in their heart? Now, you know, you know what's, what's sorry about this instance, that even after the breakthrough comes, listen to what they ask themselves. Who is this guy? Who is he? That even the winds, do you see to the extent that these men were troubled? Wow. So listen. When they were faced with opposition to God's plan, somebody say, I'm going to the other side. All of a sudden, the opposition gave way to not only believing that Jesus no longer cared for them, they also believed that that opposition would lead them to die. Get this. To die with Jesus. Wow. You hear this? These guys believed that Jesus, his plan was faulty. They believed that they would die and not accomplish what he predestined them for. What was on the other side? If you study this out, you'll see that when they get to the other side, they get to a place called the Gerasenes. 
And the very first thing that happens is this man who's demonically possessed gets delivered and all these healings happen and all this stuff happens. And then after that, if you study it chronologically, what you'll see is that Jesus says to them, now you go and you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You go deliver the demon possessed. You go do all these great things and you announce the kingdom. You see what was on the other side? That while they're facing the opposition... There's a battle for their mind. So powerful was the opposition that they even believed that Jesus was incapable of doing what God had sent him for. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn him but to save him. They knew this. But all of a sudden, even that came into question. See, Satan's objective is to give you and I enough false evidence to think about it in hopes that you and I will doubt and give up on who God is and what he has said. That's his, that's his agenda. Matter of fact, that's how he fights. That's how he fights. That's why the scripture tells us, I believe it's in 1 Peter 5, it tells us that we are to be sober-minded. In other words, we're to be clear-minded. Clear in our understanding, clear in our vision, clear in our belief, because our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who believes the lie so that he can devour them. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says this, For though we live in the world, here's what it's saying, For though we live in this world system, it says we do not wage war as the world does. So why are you fighting with people? Why are you trying to avenge yourself? Why are you trying to fight to be right? Why are you trying to fight to be heard? Why are you trying to fight to be seen? Why are you trying to fight to get your way? Listen, when you fight the fight, you exclude God from the fight. The scripture says that vengeance comes from the Lord, but the moment you try to vindicate yourself, you remove his hand from the process. He's still there, and he says, okay, well, you got it? Well, go for it. I'm right here. Let me know when you're ready. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And watch this. The weapons we fight with. Wait, what? We have weapons? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, we don't fight in the manner that this world does. According to the beliefs of this world. On the contrary... The weapons that we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? Something that holds on to you strongly. And watch where the hold is at. Listen to verse 5. We demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I want you to see where the fight is. The fight happens here. And what you do here impacts how you respond. And it's important to know how to respond. Listen, why? Because you can't miss what the aim is, what the goal is when you're facing opposition. Let me read it to you. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's God's ways. That's God's truth. That's God's wisdom. That's God's direction. That's God's instruction. All that is the knowledge of God. And what we have to do is we have to tear down those arguments, those beliefs, those lies, those things that we feel. I feel offended. No, you... Responded in offense. That's the truth. Don't look at me with those eyes. I'm preaching good stuff here. I'm giving you some truth. (laughs) 
So listen, we demolish arguments. But who creates the argument? We do. I prove it to you. You ever find yourself facing something really difficult and you start to tell yourself how it's going to play out? Right? Oh, this is going to be bad. Oh, man, if this is going to happen and then after this happens, they're going to say that. And then I'm going to say this. And then you see yourself doing a Hassan chop, karate chop. Right? And you see this whole drama and World War Three takes place and you end up winning. And the truth is, you lost. You lost a friend. You lost a family. You lost the opportunity to be a witness. And you lost by partnering with the lie of the enemy. See, Satan introduces the lie. But it's up to you and I what we do with it. And so the Bible says that we are to demolish these arguments... And everything, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. But watch how. It says, take every thought captive to make it obedient to God. The best way that I can explain that to you is this. The law says that you are not to assault a person. The law says that, right? Don't put your hands on somebody. So now, I go and I punch somebody in the face. Right? Don't leave here. I'm not that, not that guy. But I'm just using this. I punched this guy in the face. And he says, he punched me in the face. And so he goes and he gets an officer. And that officer comes with a law that requires that I become obedient to that law and that I am now subjected to that law. And as a result, come consequences. What the scripture is telling us here is this, that when these arguments arise, you have to take these arguments and subject them to the truth and make them obedient to what Christ has decreed. And when you do so, you arrest them and you deem them powerless. They no longer have effect in your life because you know it's a lie and you know what the truth says. And the Bible says that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. We're going to talk about that in a second though. Because that freedom comes by what you know. Let me touch on that in a second. And so 2 Timothy 1.7 says, teaches you and I something about who you are. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not a spirit, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is that in your new, born-again, recreated, spirit-filled, full of Christ, everything that God has decreed, it's all true about you. Some of us, we just need to catch up to what the truth is, right? We need to discover what the truth is. It's saying that in you, God has placed power, love, and a sound mind. That word sound mind there simply means that you have the ability to dominate. And God, you're thinking, right? And so you have the power of God. You have the faithfulness of God you, you, who loves you. You have the ability to discipline your mind. But it's up to you and I to take every thought captive and demolish them in your thinking. Let me just say all that simply to say this. You can change your mind. Nobody can do that for you. God gives us the truth but you have to change your mind. I'll prove it to you. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed, do not fall into the mold of this world, this world system, but be transformed. Watch this, by the renewing of your mind. So who does the renovation? God gives you the tools, God gives you the plan, but you got to renovate this stinking thinking. It's up to you and I to change our mind. It's up to you and I to dominate our thoughts. It's up to you and I to live free. And so watch this. The enemy steals, kills, and destroys with lies. With lies. As we're wrapping up here, I want you to see some things. The disciples began this journey across the water after learning about the power of acting and accepting the truth 
from God and how it causes us to grow. And when they got in the boat with Jesus, the first thing that they had was a word. They had a seed. And it was intended to reproduce much in their lives. Jesus says to them, this is the seed. He says, let's go to the other side. Can I say to you that that's an open invitation to each and every one of us. Let's go to the other side. What I find interesting in this, in this small portion of Scripture is, if you check it out on your own, we don't have time to look at it ourselves. The Bible says that they left the crowd behind them. And they got in the boat with Jesus to go to the other side. And what you got to understand is this, that when opposition came, they suddenly began to believe they couldn't make it. We're going to sink. We're going to die. Jesus doesn't care about us. We can't make it. It's too hard. I can't. And they don't realize what's happening. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to a people known as the Pharisees. These were people that were held in high esteem by the people of their day, the Jewish people. And they looked to these people for for the purpose of knowing God, knowing the truth, hearing of God, following God, doing what was right. That's what they went to, to, to these Pharisees for, these religious leaders, these teachers. And Jesus is there with them. And in John chapter 10, he's calling them out. And he's saying, you're liars. You're liars. And then he identifies who they're associating themselves with. He says, only a thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. There was an act of Satan at work. And the agenda was to steal, to kill, and to destroy what was on the other side. John chapter 8, verse 44 says this. This is Jesus speaking to these same people in another, in another instance. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Watch how he kills, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When opposition comes and what God has told you comes into question, we must open our eyes and realize that there is an act of Satan at work. And here's the agenda. Man, just because it glitters, it ain't gold. And just because it sounds good and looks good doesn't mean that it's God. when it contradicts what God has told you and what his word reveals to you, you must realize that there's an agenda at work. And its ultimate goal is to steal from you that which God has declared, that which you've come to know to be true in your identity, to kill and to destroy you. And it all happens by a lie. But the lie only has power if we begin to believe it's truth. And so as we close here, the only way to overcome a lie is to break its power by exposing it with truth. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says this. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching." You're really my disciples. If you hold to what I've taught you, if you hold to my promises, if you hold to my truth, if you stay with my instruction, if you stay with the plan, if you are resolved, resolute, standing firm, this is what I've told you. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Watch this. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Listen, when you know the truth of God, 
You cannot fall prey to the opposition that the enemy brings. But we got to get in position to know the truth. We got to get to a place where we're not just excited about going to the other side, but when opposition comes, we're resolved and firm on getting to the other side. Let's stand here today. Listen, the scriptures, as I shared before, tell us that on the other side of this body of water, Jesus and the disciples encountered great needs and performed great miracles. The disciples were commissioned to do even greater things. Had they not pressed through the opposition they encountered, they would have never made it. God says to you, let's go to the other side. Don't stay here. You don't have to succumb to life's challenges when they come. You don't have to believe the opposition is greater than the one who's in you. There's greatness in you. There's purposes in you. There's plans for your life. But you must press through. Amen? And so in closing, like Jesus, we too must face the storms from a state of rest and peace. As you stand in your identity, take control of your thought life, and overcome the lies of enemy with the truth of God's word. You know what I love? The scripture says that these guys are freaking out, and Jesus They wake him up. Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up. He doesn't even respond to them. There's no need. Jesus bypasses their drama. The Bible says that he says, peace, be still. What's interesting is when he said, be still, that's the Greek word, phimos. You know what it means? Shut up! Look it up for yourself. Jesus says, peace. And he says to the storm, to the opposition, shut up. You know why? Because no longer would he allow them to tolerate the lie. You and I must be that active, that strong, that determined. I will not. I cannot. I'm not backing up. I'm not letting up. God, you said, shut up, devil. You're a liar. So now that we got you all excited and pumped up and you believe, let me challenge you with something. Don't you back down from the opposition. Because you're going to leave here. And life is still going on. And for some of you, you're facing that opposition right now. But you haven't faced it correctly. Some of you, you're facing it correctly. Praise God. I celebrate that. But what I'm telling you is whether you're facing one, you face one, or you will face one, you have to know how to stand in the face of opposition. Because God created you to get to the other side. Amen? Heavenly Father, today we say thank you for the truth of your word. Father, today we believe that we are not just called to be on this side but that we're called to greater things. And Lord, we acknowledge today that with you, oh God, we can do all things, but we're also sober-minded in knowing this truth that opposition will come. And so Lord, I thank you that today you've equipped us and you've built us from the inside out. You have deposited truth to crowd out the lies that have crowded our heart, our thinking. And Father, you've equipped us to not just go towards the opposition, but to overcome it. I thank you that today in the hearing of your word, I stand here looking at overcomers, more than conquerors, strong people, mountain movers, unafraid, able to do all things with God. And so we rise, Lord. We rise. We don't back down. We move forward. 
It's very possible that there's someone here today, or maybe you're joining us online, and you, you've heard this, and you've said, wow, I've been feeling like I've been sinking my whole life. But today you see that Jesus is with you, and he's saying, I'm right here in the boat. I'm, while the waves are overtaking this boat, I'm holding it up in peace. And today you see a need for God. Man, if that's you, and you realize that you need God, you need, here's what you need to know first, that he loved you so much that he died the price and paid the price for sin so that you wouldn't have to pay it, so that you could be free. So that sin wouldn't have to dominate you. While you may make mistakes, he calls you righteous. And he invites you to a new life, a good life, an abundant life. And so today if you believe that, that he died for you, but that he also rose again so that you can rise above the storms of life. And today we invite you to pray this prayer as we close with us. Say this with us. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. And so from this day forward, I declare you my Lord and Savior. I call you my God. And I'm following after you. I'm trusting in you, and I'm rising above the storms of life. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. Now, Father, we thank you for all you've done. We overcome with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. If this message spoke to you, don't forget to let us know by tagging us on your social media stories at CTBNY or sharing with a friend. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.